0: Good afternoon. Um, I'd like you to participate in a little experiment right now. You heard that I was a psychologist, and that's kind of what we do. So what I'd like you to do now is to think about the first word that comes to mind when you see the word on the screen. And you can say it out loud. Very good. That first one, I think, was um, doctor. The uh, most dominant um, response is nurse. Day typically leads night. And go jump in the lake or the river. Now, you may wonder why I wanted you to do that, but that really um, gets it to the heart of what I think implicit bias is about. Notice that it refers to the cognitive connection between words that affect our, our understanding our actions, and our decisions in an unconscious manner. So I want you to um, really pay attention to the unconscious nature. Implicit bias is also known as implicit social cognition. For those of you who are at UVA in perhaps the 90s, we didn't talk about implicit social cognition. It was only about cognition, and it was really um, without those things that we're talking about here, the attitudes and stereotypes. Over the years, we began to realize that our attitudes and stereotypes affect us in an unconscious way. So humans and animal behavior is influenced by experience, and these experiences, if consistent, become unconscious associations. Researchers suggest that we make decisions between various qualities and social categories, including race, gender, and sexuality without giving much thought to what we are saying or what we are doing. You can think about that yourself, that sometimes you just say things without much thought of what went into that. So I have this video clip so that you can get a a deeper understanding of what I'm talking about. If we can't get no, to we can't the U.S. presidential election election going to we under massive to able to communities. us We're away that. away that. We're not It's not going go away. It's just going to it harder and harder, not easier. Like implicit bias, implicit bias, uh, like, implicit bias, seems, was when the year the main was implicit bias. bias. Yeah, when someone Hillary bias, all friends, started blowing up friends, started blowing up all our friends, started blowing up all Implicit biases are basically thought biases, 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 are basically that happen without thought g- processes, processes that have little mental shortcuts that hold, little judgment, 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 short- shortcuts that hold, judgments judgment. judgment agree Sometimes the shortcuts with. are based on race. Sometimes the shortcuts First are based clarity. On, on clarity. Saying someone First has an implicit bias is different from calling someone a racist. Is different. The word racist is a highly loaded term, right here in American society. A lot of times. When people are using it, they're thinking of the kind of old-fashioned, mm-hmm. cool In The wake of the U.S. presidential election in 2016, 2016 is we just brought near that, you know, explicit. Implicit bias is something that comes out of ordinary mental functioning, out of how the mind normally works. We've all grown up in a culture with media images, news images, conversations we heard at home, our education. Think of that as a fog we've been breathing our whole life. we never even realized it, what we were taking in. And that fog causes associations that lead to biases. I somehow know that if you say peanut butter, I'm gonna say jelly. That's an association that's been ingrained in me because throughout my life, peanut butter and jelly are together. And in many forms of media, there is an overrepresentation of black men and violent crime being paired together. And because of that, I actually, deep down inside, have been taught that black men are violent and aggressive and not to be trusted, that they're criminals, that they're thugs. With all those associations, I'm not trying to let us off the hook, but in some ways, none of us stood a chance. Starting today, we'll post a video a day dealing with one challenge of understanding implicit bias and its relationship to race and exploring ways we might combat the problem. One more thing. If you're seeing this and thinking that it doesn't apply to you, well, you might be falling prey to the blind spot bias. That's a scientific name for a mental bias that allows you to see biases in others, but not in yourself. We're biased. I wanted to emphasize the blind spot because a lot of us will see videos like that and think, well, that's for other people. That's not really for me. I am very open and I... Um, deal with everything without any kind of biasing information. And I wanted to tell you why I think that it is so important because I fall prey to that as well, and I study that all the time. Um, I'll give you an example um, relative to concussions. I had a student come in um, probably about January of this past semester, and he told me that he couldn't concentrate because he had a concussion. So I said, in my infinite wisdom, what sport do you play? And he looked at me and said, I don't play a sport. Why do you think I play a sport? And I thought to myself, I had connected sports injuries with concussions. In fact, he told me that he was in his apartment um, kitchen, had opened one of the cabinet drawers. Something fell off the table, off the um, cabinet. He reached down to pick it up and came back up, hit his head for a concussion. So again, that was an example of me not really paying attention to what was being said, but instead using my implicit bias. And just due to time's sake, I'll go down to the third one. Um, I have a friend who is from the Netherlands, he's Dutch, and he and I often meet at conferences together on psycholinguistic topics. And I had met with him, and I said, well, you know, after this next presentation, let's go to dinner together. And in fact, I said, when we go to dinner later on, let's go Dutch. Well, he let me have it because he said, What do you think? That all the people from the Netherlands are stingy? And I thought, No, I get tired of Americans always assuming that Dutch people don't want to pay their fair share. And I was really saying, What are you talking about? And then it hit me, Let's go Dutch. For Americans, just means you pay for yours, I'll pay for mine, we don't have to worry about who pays the bill. But for him, He said that I had insulted the entire nation of the Netherlands and that I should stop using that term. And believe me, I stopped, because I hadn't thought that I had been insulting, but in fact I was. So again, the blind spot, keep that in mind. So, I study psycholinguistics, and psycholinguistics is this relationship between language and psychology. I often call it the marriage of psychology and language. What we're interested in is how people understand what they read or what they hear. Particularly for me, I study reading, so I'm interested in how people understand what they read. Now, quickly, you'll understand that there is an immense amount of ambiguity in language. We think that we are being very clear, we think that we are writing very clearly, but in fact, we're not. The reason that we don't constantly say, What did you mean by that? I don't understand. Would you say that again because it wasn't clear? It's because we tend to be with people who have the same background, the same context that we're talking in, and therefore we don't ask all those questions. But I bet if you would go out of your close circle, you'll get a lot of questions. So what I want you to do again is to to, um, play along with me. I want you to read this sentence, and I want you to get a cognitive representation of what you think it means. So just take a second, think of what this simple sentence really means. After listening carefully, I decided that I should write some notes. Have something clear in your head? Okay, fine. Now what was interesting about this particular study was that the researchers decided to divide the participants into two groups. One group had a music background. They were music majors, music minors, or said that they had- had some interest in music. The other group was non-music majors. So think about what you would make as your interpretation, and this is what some of the um, participants produced. What we think of as notes, short little words and whatnot, things to help us to remember what would be coming up next. But interestingly enough, the music majors did something like this. So again, Depending upon your background, what you're familiar with, you tend to interpret the world that way. So that was a very simple example, but you can imagine how it can be more intense than that. Okay, another kind of ambiguity is called syntactic ambiguity. And as you heard in the introduction, that was what I studied for my um, doctoral work as well as my postdoctoral work. And what that involves is looking at phrases or particular words and putting them together in ways to parse a sentence. So how do we make sure that the words that we're using are put together and being attached in the way that it was intended? So here's the sentence. John saw the man on the mountain with a telescope. Think again of what your representation of that sentence is. Okay? For some of you, you had this interpretation where John has the telescope. He is the one looking at this man on the mountain with the telescope. But there's also a second interpretation. The man on the mountain, the man on the mountain with the telescope, is what John was looking at. Get the difference? It's subtle, but it can be important depending on what else is going on. So... Know, too, that there is no right or wrong answer to interpretations for these kinds of sentences, but using different kinds of measurements, such as um, reading time, response times, um, questions about interpretation can give psychologists a hint of which interpretation you tend to come up with first. Now, when we're talking about first, again, we're talking about milliseconds when we're using these reaction time measures. So it is something much shorter than a second, but long enough for us in psychology to consider that a significant difference. Now this is what keeps um, psycholinguist um, fun. psycholinguistics fun. So if you're reading this sentence, I hope some of you are chuckling at this point. Rumors of NBA referees growing ugly. Now one interpretation could be that you have these ugly NBA referees but you think, well, that can't be right, so that's why you chuckle. But in fact, the intention was that those rumors were becoming uglier, nastier, more awful. But you get why it gets to be cute and funny and keeps us all interested in studying psycholinguistics. There is also semantic ambiguity, and I find this to be fun as well. The Steeler tackle threw a block at the Ravens linebacker. Now, for those of you who know about football, simple sentence, Not too much to deal with, it's just a straightforward sentence. For those of you who don't know much about football, you're thinking, what in the world is that about? What is a stealer? What's a tackle? A block? Ravens? Linebacker? You can see where you can get lost along the way. And so if you're talking about football, then everybody's on that same page. But if you don't have that football background, you're thinking, what's a block? and who is that that has a position on the football team. So again, without having that background information, things make sense or don't make sense. Okay. So this is talking about, as I said in the clip, if you understood enough of the information, in the United States, we are bombarded with implicit bias information. So I want you to hear this. a little video. Well, it's okay. Okay. Um, this is Derald Winsue. Derald Sue is who we think of as the father of the modern study of microaggressions. He talks about in this clip, and you can get it on YouTube as well, um, about how they are, it, they are bits of information, sentences, statements that people who are of goodwill, not of uh, malcontent, but of goodwill, who say things that they intend um, to be compliments, but in fact they're insults. For example, if someone were to say um, to a a person, up to a woman, and um, say that you performed very well on that calculus exam, and singled her out and said, boy, you performed so well, I didn't think women could perform that well in mathematics. And the person speaking that might be thinking, I'm giving um, the individual a compliment, but in fact, the person that is the recipient of that compliment or non-compliment is wondering, "What is that about? Am I being insulted? Should I regard it as a compliment?" And this is what um, Dr. Sue studies. He shows that when people are recipients of this kind of um, these kinds of statements, they in fact respond very badly, in the sense that they are um, undercut in their self-esteem. So again, microaggressions appear to be compliments, and they're made by ordinary people, you and me, who think again um, that we are making compliments, but we're doing this at the unconscious level. So remember back again to implicit bias, what we're thinking about is that these speakers are making these uh, comments at the unconscious level. You will hear this a lot, that these are small cuts and not a death death blow. So little bits and scrapes at our self-esteem, nothing major, but enough of these can really undercut our self-confidence. Now critics of microaggressions will say that really this is not as serious as we try to make it out to be, that everyone is sometimes um, rude to other people, that everyone is sometimes mean and says mean, hurtful things, and everyone says ugly, negative things. So why are we making such a big deal about microaggressions? While in fact, microaggressions are not everyday incivilities and rudeness. They are not mean things that people say out of anger. They are not things that jerks say when they're being jerks. But in fact, they are constant, continual, and cumulative. And marginal groups hear these kinds of statements all the time, from birth till death. Now let's hope this one works. Ah, this is one of the best ones. you this is one I'd really like to. Maybe I should just wait. Button on the right. Right yeah, it. now, it's not much more. Oh, come on, silly thing! It's worked before, when I... Oh, I like this clip especially because it's done by children, and we often think, as adults, that. Kids don't pay much attention to this. It's never heard by them, but in fact, this is why this is so powerful. Sure a video on yes. Hmm. It's, been it's been playing before. No, oh, I don't see that. There's no arrow. Like that. I know it used to be. Well, as we love technology. Um, so this is an example where students who are middle schoolers, and they are, are talking about the times that they hear microaggressions. You can see some of these that are written here. You don't um, act black. Can I touch your hair? You're pretty in an exotic way. But you sound white. You're lucky there's affirmative action. You don't dress ghetto. Statements statement like these, again, are expected to be perceived as compliments, but in fact they're pretty insulting. Uh, one of the things that the clip shows that these students reported that in 90 days they heard over 290 of these kinds of compliments on average. So, It really is something that we think is just no really big deal, but in fact it is. Now, here are questions that I'd like you to think about. Um, If you have heard a microaggression or you've heard someone say a microaggression to someone else, um, think about these following who. Who benefits from these statements? Are they harmful to some people? Who is most directly affected? So you might think, well, these don't really affect me, but they might affect someone else, and is that still as important? And my answer would be yes. So think about this. Even though it might not affect you personally, it may affect a friend of yours or someone that you might know. What, what is another perspective? Um, What is the best case or worst case scenario? So if you think that this is no big deal, It's not so bad, that's one way of looking at it, but you might think about the other side, is how hurtful might those statements be? Where? Are you familiar with similar situations? Where can we get more information? Where can I go for help? So if you are wondering about how this affects your daily life, you might go to the internet and find out what else is available to learn. When? And I always thought that this was an interesting question. When is this acceptable? When is the statement that somebody's saying acceptable, although it's making me feel a little uncomfortable, even if it's not directed towards me? When would this cause a problem? And when should I take action? I'm often asked, what should I do? This is why. Um, I'm often asked, when should I do something? Or what should I do? And there's always a question here of, is, am I being too sensitive? Am I just overreacting? Doesn't everybody have freedom of speech? And so you want to think about these things because, in fact, we don't have the freedom of speech to say hurtful things to other people. Keep that in mind as well. And the time of when you say nothing or when you say something. So sometimes you've been in this situation and you thought, I shouldn't say anything. It's okay. It's no big deal. And I often um, would caution you to not say something if someone has said something one time to you, or even a second time. But if it gets to be a pattern, you have to think about what you might say. Um, It could be the case that you say, well, I'm not going to say anything, and nothing will change, and everybody will be fine. In fact, the research shows that if you are the person who is the victim or the recipient of these responses, or if you overhear these kinds of statements and you don't say anything, this begins to bother you at a cognitive level. And cognitively, you begin to think, was that appropriate? Was I insulted? Was my friend insulted? And that, in fact, takes cognitive energy. So instead of using your cognitive energy for something else, you're spending your time thinking about that ambiguous statement or situation. The other thing that I want you to think about is that if you say nothing, oftentimes you will find that when you say something, my second point is that the recipient will say, well, I can't believe you are saying something to me. I've been saying this for the last 20 years, and no one has ever corrected me or said anything about it. What that says to me is that no one has said anything to that person for 20 years, although it has been something that has been bothersome. So it is not the case that you should think not saying something is beneficial. In fact, it's not beneficial to that person who continues to speak that way. So what can you do? I say be an ally. So if you have friends where this is happening, speak up. Speak up to them and tell them that you didn't appreciate what was said by another person, but let them know that you have sensitivity towards what's going on. I say also to hold members of your own group accountable. So if you are a member of a marginalized group, don't allow other members of your group to say things that are inappropriate. Call them on that as well. this is one thing that I've been really encouraging people to to do when they hear an inappropriate comment, to say simply, ouch. So someone says something that um, you feel is inappropriate, but you don't want to begin a conversation about it, simply say, ouch. And continue on. Continue on. Don't take time with it. You might have to say ouch a second or a third time. But at some point, the person who's making these comments might say to you, Why are you saying these things? Which gives you an opening of talking about what microaggressions are about. One thing that we find is that when the person who is the perpetrator or who's saying these statements is asking what's going on, they're more likely to be sensitive to your response. So think about that as well. Realize also that you're going to make mistakes, and that's okay. Remember the mistakes that I made at the beginning of the talk. It's okay but know that if it does happen, be willing to apologize. That will be appreciated. So, in summary, ambiguity exists at different levels, the word level, the syntactic level, the semantic level, and the real-world level. And that's what got me started in looking at microaggressions, and I'm really glad that I did. So I, I want you to take time to reflect about these microaggressions at the personal level, when dealing with employers, when dealing with peers and employees. So think about that when you are making these statements. Be mindful. So here is my take home message. I am inspired by the students at UVA. I think that they are really thoughtful individuals who really are, um, who really believe that they're going to make this world a better place. And I think that what we do as professors, administrators, and UVA alums, by our examples and role models, we can enhance our understanding of implicit bias as well as share in the uh, effect of microaggressions on ourselves and others. Thank you.